Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Inna Alhamdulillah Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu Wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina Wa min sayyati a'amalina Man yadhillahi falamudillala Wa man yudlil falahadila Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wa ahdahu la sharika Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu وقال سبحانه وتعالى بعد عود بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لقد كان لكم في رسول الله أسوة حسنة أسوة حسنة يعني أفضل القدوة الله سبحانه وتعالى تزن القرآن بذلني إن البرافيل محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم الأسوة حسنة the best example for you when we realize the importance of the Prophet in our lives as a part of our deen, as a part of the, the purpose of our existence. Meaning, Allah says, I did not create the jinn or mankind except to worship. But how will you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Some people they take culture as their guide. Meaning, if you live in a society and they do a certain bid'ah or they do some form of shirk or they do something that's zulm, that's an oppression, but your society does it, when somebody tells you, no, Allah said this in the Quran, Rasul did it this way, he, he did it this way or he didn't do it that way, People take their practices as the religion. They say, no, when my father, my great cousin lives this way, halal. And how are you going to come and tell me? Right? And you tell somebody, no, this is not the way that Allah has ordained it. This is not the way the Prophet did it. But they will say, no. Right? Some people, they take leniency as their example. This is very common now in our time, especially in the country we're in. You'll see a shaykh, mashallah, who will have a lot of knowledge, he will study. And somebody will ask him, shaykh, what is the hukum on this mas'ala? And he will say, in this madhab is this, this madhab is this, this alim said this, shaykh did this, also this opinion, this opinion, this opinion, this opinion, this opinion, just to confuse you. Like your mind will be spinning, and then he won't give you an answer, like he won't tell you halal, haram, yes, no. There is also this opinion, this opinion. And then you tell him, like, well, what should I do? Pick whatever you like. Or they will just find the most lenient. When it's convenient for them, they will be Shafi'i. When it's convenient for them, they will be Hanafi. When it's convenient for them, they will be Zahiri. When it's convenient for them, they'll be whatever, Rafidi or whatever, whenever is easy for them. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, No doubt that with emphasis, literally in the Rasul, uh, the Messenger of Allah, for you, for is it for you, lakum, for you, Uswata Hasana. The best example. So for us, we take our example, our ibadah, our form of worship, our religion from the way of the Prophet ﷺ. Because that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordained in the Quran. So if you want to know what's the best way to be the best husband, look at the Prophet ﷺ. You want to see what is the best way to be the best son, to be the best neighbor, to be the best leader, to be the best in bringing people together. What is the right and left, the do's and don'ts? We look at the life of the Prophet ﷺ.
And we look at it with adillah, with evidences. And I'm saying this because in this dust, we spend a lot of time preparing, looking at the evidences and the authentic from week. And most of the durus out there, people send me links and clips, people don't care. I mean, they don't care about whether it's sahih or da'if, they don't care. They just want to make it entertaining. They don't really care about the evidence. And sometimes, like those speakers, I know who they are, we're in touch with them. I will send them nasiha, hey, I saw your seerah, that's by the way, this hadith you quoted, it's matruk, it's extremely weak. They'll be like, eh, who cares? Eh? People liked it. Right? Shaykh al Islam, Taqiyuddin ibn Taymiyyah, the great scholar of Islam, he said, Man al usul, faharram al usul. What a beautiful statement, right? He said, whoever gets away from or, or loses the usul, understanding the yani, where the religion comes from, then haram al usul. He will not. It will be. He will be prohibited from getting to the goals or the evidences or the rulings, wherever you want to get to, right? And he said, man dalil. Whoever leaves the evidences, whoever doesn't care about what is the dalil, they will say, no, just my imam did it, my people do it, whatever, then sabil, then he has misguided from the path. Al-Imam Abu Ubaid was Al-Qasim ibn Salam, the great scholar, he said, Ajabtu, I am surprised, I am amazed. Liman tarkal usul, whoever leaves the usul, al fudul. And then he goes after that which is useless. What is the usul of our religion? Al-Qur'an was sunnah. What is the Qur'an? Kalam Allah. What is from the sunnah is what is sah, yani what is authentic, والسلام, yani upon the Prophet وسلم, that is the sunnah established with us. That is the usul. Mantiq and this and kalam and this and philosophy and this and that, all that is fudul, useless stuff. It's not the way of Sahaba radiyallahu. You can, you can sound impressive to people, you can be a good debater, but if you leave the usul, then you have left what you were supposed to be upon. Now, when we go back to the authentic narration from the Prophet in the seerah, in the life of the Prophet we were at the time that now the wahi had began. The revelation had began to the Prophet now, why do I stress on authenticity having to do with the seerah? When everybody says in seerah, even if it's a very weak hadith, who cares, just seerah. No. Why? Because now we will take our example on how to do the da'wah, on how to deal with the message that we have to deliver from the sunnah of the Prophet So in the seerah, if we start taking weak and fabricated and such narrations, then what is the lesson, the uswa, the example for us? Right? So here Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he has been given a responsibility. In the last dust we talked about, he was given, Ya Yul Mudathir, Qum Fa'andir. Oh you who is covered, go and warn. And Ya Yul Muzammin, Qum Al-Layla, Illa Qalila. Oh you who is wrapped up, yani, uh, pray in the night except a little, and you stand praying in the night, except a little. Subhanallah, as Ibn Kathir mentions, that there are, there are the differences 
يغطي العام يعني to go and, and call towards and, and warn towards the people and the effort you have to do in the daytime this is what's given in Yayul Mudathar and this is an example for us our job as the Ummah of the Prophet as the Ummah of the last Prophet who knows that there is no Prophet to come we need to understand that giving this message now is our responsibility right? but then there is the responsibility of the night I need to stand up and pray. I need to do your effort in the night by asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there is a linguistic miracle here. I'm not going to go too deep here, but inshallah, we'll have the ability to study uh, tafsir one day. That thara is to cover like you do regularly, like this with a shawl, to cover. From here, mudathir, because this is the daytime. Zalmala is the blanket or the covering at night. When you, when, you, when you cover in night. And this is the linguistic miracle how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ties words in the surah, the rabat bayn al-alfaz, the, the connection between the words, and rabat bayn al-ayat and surah, which people don't study in tafsir today. Today in tafsir, everybody's in a rush. Just mention a few things, they make a day, two, three words, khalas. How will you understand the linguistics of it? Right? So here we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses muzammil, because linguistically, this has to do with what you wrap at night, with the effort of the night. And mudathir, for that which is in the day. Because that is the regular wrapping. And as Ikrama, he says, and Al-Tabari has this Sahih Sanad, yani this is a, Yayul Mudathir, this is an effort, this is, an, this is a command of Rasulullah Wasallam that no more can you hide yourself. Now you have to come out with the da'wah and call people towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yani, قم, قم بهي, yani, with this amr so what does this begin? this begins the stage of the da'wah of Rasulullah sallallahu in the phases we studied in this series before the birth of the Prophet sallallahu we studied about the beginning of creation lightly yani, we, we studied about those things that had to do with the, with the lineage of the Prophet وسلم, yani going back to Ibrahim السلام, and Ismail and the Quraysh and so on. Then we studied the birth of the Prophet وسلم, until the 40th year of his age, around that, when the Nabuwa, when the prophethood began with the Amr, with the order from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Now we have the Risala of Rasulullah beginning with the da'wah where now Rasulullah is not just being said, told read or this is a message from Allah no, now he is being told you have to take this message and deliver it to others. This phase of the life of the Prophet will continue till his death. Yani the da'wah does not stop. Once that responsibility begins once there is jihad in the ummah when there is qital, it doesn't stop. I mean, this is uh, yani, it's a weird thought people have today. Some things are mansukh. Yani some, there is order, sometimes they come and they get abrogated. Right? Because they are for a particular time. And we have to have a nasikh. We have to have something that abrogates it. And we, and we provide evidence for that. Right? For example, there was a time when it was fought to make hijrah from Makkah. You couldn't live in Makkah. And we'll discuss that in this verse. When the hardships came and the hijrah to Medina happens, it became obligatory on all the Muslims in Makkah to leave. 
Whoever was able, some people were tied, some people were in prison, some people couldn't, some people were hiding their Islam, but whoever could, it was fall on them to make the hijrah. Right? Then that order became mansukh, it became abrogated once they had the Fath of Mecca. Once Mecca became liberated, now obviously you don't want to leave Mecca, now you want to be in Mecca. So then the Prophet told us that there is no more of this, right? This order is finished. But there is still, of course, jihad and there is still any other types of hijrah. But that obligatory hijrah to leave Mecca to Medina was no longer applicable. But the rest of Sharia, whether it's hudud, whether it's anything, once it comes, it is obligatory. You cannot just say like some of our speakers nowadays. I saw a video the other day. He was saying, he goes, the hudud, who can implement it today? If you did, everybody's hands would be cut, whoever. And these are, these are imams, these are people people respect. They call them this, they call them that. And they mock the sharia. They mock the hudud. As if the Qur'an had, had an expiration date. La. If there is no nasir, khalat, that hukam is there till the day of judgment. And it is the most practical, and it is the best, because it is ordained by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hopefully Mr. Hansen watches this. So, the da'wah now has... 13 years in the Mecca period and 10 years in the Madinan period. Right? This is from 40 years of age to 63 years of age. Those can be broken down by the scholars of Islam into periods now. One is three years of a secret death. And that's what we're going to talk about now. What does it mean secret? It means that Rasulullah was not out there in the street calling all of Quraysh and warning them openly and things like this. It was individual conversations where he was reaching out to people in Mecca calling them towards Tawheed. And this is hikmah and this is a lesson for us. Right? Some of us, yani, we may live in places where there is no Muslim community. But if there is a Muslim community, they are away from the religion completely. For them, the first thing they should do is try to talk to people that they know, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, and call them towards Tawheed, towards the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, I'm not talking about like LA, San Francisco, San Diego, or New York, like not big cities, I'm talking about little towns. Maybe there is a Muslim in some little town that I wouldn't even know the name of in Montana, and he wants to start the da'wah. And he just goes out to the street and starts calling and he has no support and nobody with him. And maybe he'll be harmed. We have sometimes sisters that reach out, I live in a city, I live in a little town, there's no Muslims here. I want to go to the street and do da'wah. I watch your videos. No, no, no. It's not okay to do it. Even us in San Diego, I remember a time when it used to just be me speaking to people that I knew from, from, yani, from my past and stuff. Just talking to them one on one about Islam. That's how it begins. When you have then people that will stand with you, when you have developed that base, then you take that da'wah public. Right? Then you start looking at venues and ways. So, the first three years here is a da'wah where Rasulullah is speaking to the different people that he knew. And he reached out to those, and we'll talk about who were the first Muslims and why. He reached out to those that he saw to have good characteristics. You know, people have personality types. I know 
Like in America, sometimes we're told, no, everybody's just the same. No. People have, for some people, are, they have shiddah in their, their, their heart, in their personality. Some people are soft. Some people, when they see the truth, they jump on it. Some people, they have to think through it for a long time. None of those are really good or bad. They're just different personality types. Right? So, those people, like Abu Bakr, Uthman, who didn't drink alcohol in the times of Jahaliyyah, who didn't do zina in the time of Jahaliyyah, those who Many of them that were really looking for the truth, like Abu Dhar al-Ghaffari anhu, it was very easy for them to accept the da'wah because they were already looking for it. And then there are other people like Abu Sufyan who ends up becoming a Muslim as well, but it was difficult for them. And they had to go through their own personal struggles. So here Rasulullah starts to read for the first three years, he's going to reach out to individuals. Then there is seven years of open da'wah. And that is the most difficult time. Why? Because when you are a salih, a pious person, who just prays and does your own thing, nobody has any problem with you. And you just go pray in a corner. I mean, subhanAllah, we see some of these goofies, Sufis, whatever. Right? And you'll see them in a, in a, a land of uh, kuffar and stuff. And they will not give da'wah. They will not talk about Tawheed, they will not say anything about Shirk or Bid'ah, or they will not say anything about the Sharia, Hijab, or Qital, or any of these things, right? What will they do? They will just sit somewhere and make dhikr for 20 hours straight. Not even make Salah. I don't know what that's about, but right? I, I, and then you hear about this Sheikh, he sat in the water for this long. How did he make Salah? Oh, Salah, you Zahiris, Wahhabis, you know, right? Now that guy, nobody would have a problem with. Even the Hindu will go to them and make dua for me, brother. My cows are not giving milk, God is happy, make dua for me. Right? Even the Christian, even the Malhid, even the atheist will go to them, make da'wees for me. I was in India in 1996, yes I'm old. There was a Hindu on a train, and he started telling, tell me you're Muslim, I told him, yeah, Muslim. He goes, man, you know, I got this da'wees, you know, this amulet from uh, Ajmer Sharif, some place of Bid'ah and stuff, right? And he's like, I got this one. I'm like, you're Hindu? He goes, yeah, yeah, but I, I believe in everything. You know, so, <laughs> so, so even the Hindu, even the Mushrik, even the Mulhid, like, you know, I have a test coming up, pray for me, you're pious. But when you start fulfilling the responsibility that Allah has put upon you, and you start calling towards Tawheed, you start saying, no, Shirk is wrong. I'm sorry, you may have been raised that way, but it's shirk. I don't care any what culture, I don't care this, no, I'm not celebrating Christmas. Why do you not celebrate Christmas? Because this is a pagan festival, right? When you start speaking like that, that's when the hardships began. And that's why you will separate the weak of Iman from the strong of Iman there. You will see the weak of Iman, even if they have tons of knowledge, they have double PhDs, even if they call themselves the leaders of the Muslims of America, but they're out there in churches. Yes. Merry Christmas, brother. Yes. Interfaith we have. So what? It's the birthday of Isa. No, it's not. It is not the birthday of Isa. This is a pagan festival. It's not in the Bible. It's not in historic documentation. And even if it was to celebrate, would be a bid'ah. Right? Right now, this is a festival of shirk. And to greet on the shirk, to be pleased to tell somebody merry, like happy, 
They of shirk. This is shirk. Imagine you go to somebody and they're worshipping a grave or worshipping a man and you tell them, happy worshipping that man. Who would approve of that? But our leaders are out there tweeting right now. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy Easter. Oh, we're, we're, we're being good neighbors. No, you are being bad neighbors because you are not fulfilling the haq of your neighbor than telling them the truth about re what, what really is. Guiding them towards the right path. You, you, you think on the Day of Judgment, these kuffar will be happy that you didn't tell them? No, they will be hanging from your necks. So the seven years of da'wah that's open is the seven years of hard problems. And then there is three years where the da'wah in Mecca was stagnant. There was a very hard time. This is where the da'wah went outside of Mecca. Rasulullah said, sent people, messengers, people out, outside of Mecca to invite others. Right? And then there is the ten years of the, uh, the life in Medina. And then we'll talk about the Fatah of Mecca and so on. Right? Tayyib. So who were the first people to accept Islam? We know, and we discussed this in the last dars, and I will mention it again. And there is khilaf of ulama, there is aqwal, I'm not going to go deep into that. But Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Nu'man ibn Thabit, uh, mashallah, the great faqih, the scholar of fiqh, he said there is ijma'a, there is consensus that awwala man aslama min hadhiya al-umma khatija. He says there is consensus that the first one to accept Islam from this Ummah is Khadija radiallahu Khadija radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet was the first one. To, now, this is, even if we find some aqwal, this is what Abu Hanifa claims the ijma'a, consensus. Right? And he says then, awwala mawali, those from these people who were under servitude was Zayd ibn Harab. Zayd ibn Harab was Somebody used to serve the Prophet ﷺ before Islam. So when the message came right away, Alhamdulillah, he was one of the first people to accept Islam. Well, awwal ghilman, the first of the young, the children, or the, the people that were underage, Ali ibn Abi Talib Then why Ali ibn Abi Talib Amir al-Mu'mineen, the great Khalifa, the, the, the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ, the son of the Prophet ﷺ, why him? Because... Abu Talib, and we mentioned this earlier in the Durus, Abu Talib had spent a lot of his money. He had financial difficulties. And we talked about this earlier, and this is one of the reasons why he wanted the Prophet ﷺ to get the employment with Khadija radiallahu anha. That's his qadr from Allah, but this is the sabab. Not that he was poor, it's because he used to spend so much. And he was from the leaders of, of Mecca. But his generosity and his spending was such that he had a great financial hardship at home. So, and he had a lot of children. So the Prophet ﷺ, he had in a way, after marriage Khatija he had taken Ali ibn Abi Talib under his shelter. Now understand, this is all qabla al-Nabuwa, this is before prophethood. So we don't take ahkam out of that time. But the Prophet ﷺ had Ali ibn Abi Talib raised in his household. And this is one of the reasons he was so close to the Prophet ﷺ. And he had that great tarbiyah, that great upbringing because he was raised in the household of the Prophet So, because he was there, and he was somebody obviously who had uh, the talab, the, the want for the haq, the truth, he was the first of the children. And the first from the men was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq Now, 
Ibn Abbas anhuma, the great yani, uh, scholar Abdullah ibn Abbas, also the relative of the Prophet sallallahu the son of Abbas, he said, Abwala man amina, yani, the first one to bring Iman Abu Bakr was Abu Bakr. What does that mean? This is discussing amongst men. Yani, obviously, because we had already discussed amongst the women. So who was first? Whether Ali ibn Abi Talib or Abu Bakr radiyanu or Zayd ibn Haratha, here, Ibn Abbas, the Sahabi, Sanadah, with the authentic chain, he says, the first one from the men was Abu Bakr. And Hassan ibn Thabit radiyahu, he mentioned the same. Ali ibn Abi Talib, the Khalifa, Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu, he says, awwala man aslama min al-rijal Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Ali radiyahu also says this. And Ibn Asakir has the Sahih Sanad. So this means that the first person, no doubt, was Khatija radiyallahu But the after her, the first person was who? Abu Bakr Siddiq And Abu Bakr radiyallahu was a close friend of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There is a narration that Ibn Kathir has in Bidayah wa Nihan. And in the Musnad of Firdaus. Musnad Firdaus, many people don't know you've heard of this book. Because people, today, their research is stuck at the Qutb al-Sitta. <laughs> They think there's only books of hadith in the world that Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawud, Ibn Majah, Nisa, and Tirmidhi, that's it. No, there's many books of hadith, ikhwan. And when you research, you need to research. Muslim Firdaus is a, is a book not well known, but it has many uh, beneficial hadith, some sahih, some da'id. This narration that I'm going to mention, Jazakallah, is in the Muslim of Firdaus 6286. And the reason I'm mentioning some details here. Ishaq ibn Ishaq has it as well, Al-Bayhaqi has it in a mursal format. The rawayah in the Musnad of Firdaus that Ibn Kathir quotes is also weak. Ibn Athir has another sanad for it. Ibn Rajab al-Hambali al-Qaif al-Ma'arifi says that it is sahih li It is authentic due to supporting evidences. And I went through this because the last time I talked, when I mentioned this, some brothers, mashallah, may Allah guide us all, they have no uh, want except to try to show off. You know? So the first thing they, they quote, you see Ali, they Google it. The first one they Google comes up weak, they're like, ah, gotcha. Brother, we're not just Googling things. <laughs> when you look at a hadith, you have to look at all the different asadi. You have to look at the shawahid. You have to look at the hukam that comes. You have to look at books, like actual books. And books like Muslims from those that you never heard of before, right? So when you put all that together, this is an authentic narration. It is authentic due to supporting evidence. Sahih as if Rajab al and others have said. In this narration, Rasulullah said, when I called the people, there was nobody that I called toward Islam except that they had doubts and they had thoughts and they had contemplation and they had questions, meaning they went through this process. Illa Abu Bakr. Except Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. He said, when I gave the da'wah, immediately he accepted it. you. Now, somebody may say, well, why didn't he think about it? Why didn't he try to... Because you have to understand, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had put that thought, that want for the truth in many of the Sahaba. Like Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu we'll talk about that as well. Like Abu Dhan al-Ghaffari, like others like Bilal radiallahu they were looking for the truth. They knew worshipping idols and this is nonsense. They knew it was wrong. That's why Rasulullah sallallahu and in some of the narrations of Bakr and Uthman radiallahu anhumah, they didn't worship idols. 
even before Islam. Because they saw it and they knew that this was wrong. Fitrah tells you it's wrong. Right? So these Sahaba, many of them, they had, and Abu Bakr, especially, he was a very close friend of Rasulullah, close to him in age, and close to him in his yani, mannerisms. So even before Nabuwa, he knew the Prophet so well that he knew that when this man says something, it's the truth. The rest of Quraysh also called him Amin and Siddiq and all that stuff, but Sadiq and so on, but any, there's a difference. Like, if I come here and I tell you, you know what, this, this, this happened to me. Many of you may know me, and many of you any, may come to the durus and things, but you'll be like, eh, maybe, maybe not. But then there are some of you that I've known for 20 years, that have known me very well, that have more than 20 years, like Farooq, Serena, Daik, Abdul Rahman, others, right? Those brothers, they will know me well enough that they will be faster to know whether I'm speaking the truth or not. Right? So Bakr because he was that close to the Prophet وسلم, he, was, he was quick to know that this is a man who doesn't lie. This is a man when he says something, he's truthful. Rasulullah from this gave Abu Bakr Radiyanhu a title. What's Abu Bakr Radiyanhu's name? Abdullah ibn Uthman. Abdullah His name is Abdullah. His father's name is Uthman. Even though his kunya, his, his nickname is Abu Quhafa. Right? So Abdullah ibn Abi Quhafa or Abdullah ibn Uthman, that is his actual name. Abu Bakr was his kunya. But we call him Abu Bakr as Siddiq. Right? Why? Who gave him this title? I mean, today, people just give title. I mean, sometimes you see like a book and the title the guy has been given is mashallah, like Hakim al-Ummatib, Fazilat al-Shaykh and this and this and this, mashallah, like the title is so long and then the fatwa will be like, yes. <laughs> this, no. Is it halal? No. No evidence, no hadith, no ayah, no dalil. No. A sheikh, a doctor, a alim, a lama, subhanallah. But these are are just usually nowadays made up. I mean, sometimes ulema gave titles to people, and that's obviously that's correct, and we want to respect the ulema. But this title was given by the Prophet ﷺ himself. Whoever denies that Abu Bakr is a Siddiq denies the Prophet ﷺ's hadith. And this hadith is Sahih, it's in Sahih al Bukhari. Depending on your numbering, but in the one I have was 3661, where Rasulullah said that everybody, when I originally gave the da'wah yani, to the people, they said, Kadhabat, yani, they, would, they denied it. But Rasulullah when he said, when said, when I gave the da'wah to Abu Bakr Siddiq, he said, What you have spoken is the truth. Immediately. So this is why he said, Abu Bakr Siddiq. Abu Bakr when you look at his closeness with the Prophet how he learned to hate from the Prophet how he was always with the Prophet how he was the only one that Rasulullah made the hijrah with how he was the one that Rasulullah praised in so many ways so many ayat about him and so on it, 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 it boggles the mind how anybody can hold any malice against him Abu Bakr the first day that he became Muslim, immediately he went out after learning from the Prophet ﷺ that what is Islam? 
At that time, they didn't have like ahkam and sharia, they didn't have any fiqh of salah and things, no. But the risala of tawheed had been revealed to the Prophet to call towards the one Allah, the one that created us, the one that gave us life, that, that there is none worthy of worship except that one Allah. He learned that and immediately he went and called people towards it. Tayyib, two lessons and two extremes to be away from. One, when Abu Bakr asked the Prophet what is my job? He said, my job and my responsibility is your responsibility, call people towards Allah. That means it's all of our responsibility. It's the ummah of the Prophet But there is two extremes. One extreme is that if you're not Shaykh al-Hadith and Allama and Qadi al-Qudha, don't give da'wah. Da'wah is only for ulama. Convey upon me. You don't have to be a PhD in Sharia to give da'wah. The other extreme is you get every jahil to talk about anything he wants and you're like, it's okay, brother. He's, 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 he's in the path of Allah. He just quoted a Mawdu hadith, it's okay, brother. It's okay. He just fabricated the hadith into the Quran, it's okay. It's okay. He's in Quran, don't worry about it. La. We reject both extremes. We take the middle path, right? Which is what? Everybody is responsible to call towards what they know. If you know La ilaha illallah, call towards La ilaha illallah. If you know there is none worthy worship except Allah, call towards that. Don't talk about what you don't know. If you're going to give a talk, how difficult it is to sit down with the people of knowledge, tulab and or brothers that research and say, hey, you know, I'm going to quote these narrations, are they authentic or not? Alhamdulillah, okay? easy. And then go and call towards Allah. This is the responsibility upon all of us. Don't say, oh no, if you haven't memorized Bukhari, how can you give da'wah? Who's going to give da'wah then? Nah, this is upon every one of us. Every one of us has the responsibility of tabliq, of balaf, of calling towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But how will you do it? In the ability that Allah has given you at the time. Meaning if you know the basics, call towards the basic. If somebody then asks you a question that you don't know, say, La Don't try to make your talks impressive by throwing in anything you heard from anybody. No. You learned this, this is authentic, this is correct. You, you talk to the Sulaf, Allah's call towards that. Abu Bakr, here he does this. He knows about Tawheed. He goes and he calls people. When they ask him more, he tells them what? He doesn't tell them. And he, in my opinion, it has come to me. I don't know where it comes from. No, he says, come with me to the Prophet. Same thing we should do. When you're giving da'wah, and somebody asks you a question you don't know, I don't know, Allah knows best. I'll tell you what, let's go to the masjid. We have an imam, we have Shaykh Abdul Qadir here, we have other people of knowledge here. Yeah, take them, say, we will ask them. If they don't know, Shaykh Harun is here as well. Right? If we don't know, if they don't know, go to the ulema overseas in other countries, find the people of knowledge. Right? Take them to the people of knowledge. Right? So, Abu Bakr the first day he goes, who does he give da'wah to and who accepts his da'wah? Uthman ibn Affan Subhanallah. Look, that's what I'm saying, like how can anybody hold malice against Abu Bakr Look at his mizan of hasanat. All these people, listen, who he gave da'wah to and because Allah guided those people through him as the means, imagine on the day of judgment, he will have the reward of all their good deeds as well. Uthman ibn Affan. Zubair ibn Awam, Talha, right? Sa'd ibn Waqas, 
These are all people from the people of Jannah, by the way. Right? Uh, Abu Ubaidah bin Jarrah, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, again. All people from the people of Jannah, right? Those people and on top of that, uh, Uthman ibn Mad'un anhu, and his two brothers from him, then him giving da'wah to his brother, two brothers, Qudama and Abdullah, and Abu Salama al-Arqam. These people were from the first batch that Abu Bakr went and gave da'wah to, and they came back and they accepted Islam with the Prophet Also, Fatima, the sister of Umar ibn Khattab, and her husband, Sa'id ibn Zayd. And Sa'id ibn Zayd is also from the 10, given glad tidings of Jannah. Whenever we ask people, name the 10, he's always the one that people leave out. So just remember Sa'id ibn Zayd, and the next other nine will remember, inshallah. Hey? From the early Muslims, Ibn Hisham and others has also Bilal radiyallahu, Ubaidah ibn Harat radiyallahu, Khabbab radiyallahu, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, and those are from the early Muslims as well. But Abu Bakr radiyallahu, he was immediately out there giving the da'wah and immediately taking people back to the Prophet sallallahu and bringing such quality people that you will see the majority of the people that were given the glad tariq of Jannah will be from those people. That's why Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, he says, Kunna nukhayr nas. We used to in the time of Sahaba radiallahu the Abdullah ibn Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhuma. He said, we used to look at the best between the people of Zaman and Nabi alayhi salatu meaning the time of Sahaba. Kunna Aba Bakr. So we would think Abu Bakr to be the best. Thumma Umar ibn Khattab, then Umar ibn Khattab, Thumma Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. This is in Sahih Imam al-Bukhari. Hadith number 3,655. People that have diseases in their heart, they would they sometimes bring up uh, shaks and shubuhat and things like this. We have the hadith from Abdullah ibn Umar. He says, Kunna naqul, we used to say in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu that was with us, of the al-ummat al-Nabi sallallahu ba'd Abu Bakr, thumma ba'd al-Nabi Abu Bakr, thumma Umar, thumma Uthman. He used to say that we used to say, and the Prophet was amongst us, that the best of this Ummah after the Prophet was Abu Bakr, then Umar, then Uthman. Al Shafi'i, Muhammad Idris Al Shafi'i, the great scholar, he said, Ajma' Sahaba. Right? The consensus of the Sahaba, that the best of the Sahaba was Abu Bakr, then Umar, then Uthman, then Ali. Ali ibn Abi Talib, he himself was asked by his son, that his name is Muhammad ibn Ali. He's called Muhammad al-Hanafiya. Al-Hanafiya because of his stickness of Tawheed, not his mother's al He said, Abi. He said, I asked my father, Ayyunas Khairun, who is the best? Now, who, who's asking? Muhammad ibn Ali. Muhammad al-Hanafiya, the son of Ali radiallahu anhu. So Muhammad ibn Ali radiallahu anhu. He's asking who? Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. And this is the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari, hadith number 3671. So in the authentic narration, Muhammad, the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. He's asking Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu, nas khairun, who is the best? Ba'da Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi After the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi Obviously, we don't compare anybody to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi from يعني, the Sahaba, Rasulullah is the best of mankind. After him, who was the best? Faqala. 
Ali ibn Abi Talib Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr. Who said this? Ali ibn Abi Talib himself. He said Abu Bakr. All who thumma man. I said then who? Faqala thumma Talk about the order of Khalifa. It's right there in Hadith. Go pick up the books. Look at the chain. These are Ahlul Bayt. He says, then who said Umar? He said, Khashaytu, that I was worried that he would then say Uthman and other Sahaba. So he says, what about you? Like it's his father, right? Every son looks up to his father. He wants his father to have that status. So he goes, what about you? He says that I am just ma ana illa rajlun min al muslimin. And this is from the tawadu, the humbleness of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Right? He says, I'm just one of the Muslims. But as the Shafi'i had said, from the different narrations, the ijma', the consensus of this ummah, the best of this ummah, Abu Bakr, then, Amr, then, Uthman, then, Ali, radiallahu anhu. And these four are the best of the Sahaba, the greatest of them. Right? And then, of course, we know the ten given the glad tidings of Jannah, we know the fadail and virtue of Fatima, we know the fadail and virtue of Aisha, radiallahu anhu. Allah be pleased with all of them, and we love all of them. But we look at Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and his fadail here because this is the time in the seerah where Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he accepts Islam and he takes on the responsibility with the Prophet sallallahu from day one. Imam al he says this is the first day when the Prophet sallallahu brought the message to Khadija radiallahu the same day Abu Bakr radiallahu became Muslim. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in many hadith he mentioned the fadal of Abu Bakr that how he was uh, from the first of the people I mean uh, from my sohbati uh, from my companion Abu Bakr and his wealth of Abu Bakr and everything was at my service and so on we look at the hadith 3661 of Bukhari and so on but I want to mention just a beautiful hadith once Abu Bakr anhu, he was a human being. Like this is another thing, we don't want to exaggerate him out to be like from Malaika. He was better than the Malaika. Why? Because he was a human, but he, he was able to overcome his nafs and his desires and sacrifice everything for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he was a human being, and human beings have shortcomings. One time he became angry with Umar radiyanhu. Umar radiyanhu is physically big. Umar was very tall, very broad shoulder, physically very strong. Abu Bakr is physically smaller, he's skinny, but he has a very strong personality. So he got angry at Umar he said some harsh words to Umar to Umar ibn Khattab. Umar ibn Khattab, he, he had the respect for Abu Bakr, he didn't respond. Abu Bakr was also one of the people that if he ever did lose his temper such, he was quick to apologize and fix it. He wasn't somebody who would hold a grudge. He realized what he did was wrong. He told Umar Radiyan, forgive me. Umar told him, no, I'm not going to forgive you. And they're friends. And between friends, you have these situations, right? So Bakr Radiyan, he says, I'll take you to Rasulullah Sallallahu Umar Radiyan says something strange. First, you get angry with me. Now you're threatening me to take me to Rasulullah Sallallahu Bakr Radiyan goes to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He says, I said something harsh to Umar, he's not forgiving me. 
I'm explaining this hadith as an authentic narration, but I want you to look at the love of Rasulullah When Umar ibn Khattab comes to this gathering, and this is way later in the scene, I'm just going forward to understand this, right? When Umar ibn Khattab comes, Rasulullah turns his face away from Umar. Now when Abu Bakr sees this, he realizes that Rasulullah is now upset with Umar for not forgiving him. And it's not Umar's fault, right? So Abu Bakr says that to the Prophet on the door, don't be upset with him. I am the one that wronged him. But Rasulullah tells the Sahaba, won't you leave this one companion for me? I mean, this is my closest of friends. Can you just leave him to me? Don't cause problems here with him. SubhanAllah, the love, the closeness. But it didn't come, I mean, just from talk. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. I mean, if you look at the sacrifices he makes for the religion, right? we know the famous hadith where for Tabuk they were gathering the wealth. And Amr ibn Khattab radiallahu brought half his wealth. Imagine half of everything, not half of his bank balance, not half of his saved money or dirham or dinar, half of everything. Like if you have two camels, one of them, if you have four sheep and two of those, and half of everything in his house. He brought all of that to the Prophet When you When Abu Bakr brought his stuff, it was less in number than Umar's. Umar said, today, I have surpassed Abu Bakr. They were in competition for good. Not who's got the newer phone. They were in competition for who did more good. Right? Here, Rasulullah he asked Umar what did you leave? He said, half of everything I have, I brought. He told him, what about you, Abu Bakr? He said, I brought everything. So what did you leave at home? Allah is his prophet. SubhanAllah. Umar said, nobody can surpass this man. When he made the hijrah, he took everything. He left. His father, by that time, was blind. And he was afraid that his father would be upset that you left everything. You didn't leave anything. So he left some rocks in a bag and his daughter would show that to her grandfather so he would think there is some money in the house. That is the sacrifices they made for the religion. And that is why they have their status. Now, Rasulullah and these first few group of Sahaba, they will begin the da'wah in Mecca and inshallah we will pick up at the next verse from there. Jazakallah khair.